Hey, everybody. Welcome uh, to today's show with the, the Ashley and Joe show here. Um, we're happy to, to bring a, a great guest again um, to the program, and, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. I think he, he's going to bring some good insights uh, for the community pharmacists out there to, to, to look at uh, payer sources and, and look at new opportunities through a different lens. Uh, I'm happy to be joined today by my co-host, Ashley Branham. Ashley? Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We are um, really excited today to have um, Chris Antipast um, on the show today with Asti's South Hills Pharmacy. Um, he is one of the owners um, at that pharmacy and has done um, a lot of work around organizing clinical programs as well as um, some um, great work around the business operations within that pharmacy. Um, I first met Chris several years ago and since then have had an opportunity to, to co-present with him um, on, on several occasions. And every time I'm just blown away with all of the great insight and, and really inspired by all the work he's doing within his community in Pennsylvania. So um, I, I felt like he'd be really good to bring on the show today and, and Hopefully, um, you'll have a lot of inspiration after hearing him talk today and the successes he's had um, in his local community as well. Yeah, I know that he's a, he inspired a lot of CPS and luminaries at, at our mid-year meeting um, with with the presentation on this same on this same um, this same topic that that we're going to talk about today. So, so welcome, Chris. Hello. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you so much. So good, good to have you. So, Chris, uh, we are really curious as about uh, kind of your journey about how you you fell into or sought out, but but what got you looking down the path of uh, working directly with the self-insured entities? Sure. Yeah. So it's it's been a little bit of a journey. Uh, just as some background, so I'm a pharmacist, uh, Asti's Pharmacy, based out of Pittsburgh. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have grown in volume. I have a, have a great team around me that uh, pushed us to filling, you know, a little over five thousand prescriptions a week out of my out of our retail pharmacy, and uh, that that opportunity to grow in that way in our community and build relationships put us in a position where we have a lot of customers, obviously. And uh, we, we experienced some scenarios like many community pharmacies where some of our longtime customers uh, actually just all of a sudden one day, January 1st of a new year, uh, we learned that they can't get their prescriptions filled at our pharmacy anymore. They have to go to a, a big box chain that happens to be owned by a PBM. And uh, that's as a result of a decision their employer made to, quote unquote, save money. And so at that moment, we, it was, it's devastating to lose customers you've had for 10 years because their employer made a decision to do that. And we've all seen it. We've all lost customers to mail order. And at that moment, I looked to my my partners and uh, my team, and I said, "We're going to we're going to stop this. I'm going to get in front of that CFO, and I'm going to explain why not only this is a bad move for their employees, but it's just a bad move for their organization." And and so I I made a vow to 
to do something about it. And it's taken many years to really, I would say, accomplish that goal. And I, I feel that I, to an extent, I haven't got in front of that particular CFO, but I have uh, made a number of strides in the employer space. And being a larger pharmacy gave me the opportunity because my team has been really able to hold down the fort while I can go on this you know, journey of knowledge to really understand the space. And it's, it's fascinating how much actually goes into employer benefits. So, you know, I, I could probably eat up hours upon hours of time talking about all the things that I've learned, uh, but, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just validate which direction you, you really want to, to take the conversation because the, after, again, going and you know, calling on a lot of the people that I knew, it starts with relationships. Hey, what do you do? Oh, it's, you're, you're the CFO or the CHRO or the director of benefits for this company. Can I take you out to coffee? Can we, can we talk? Let me understand what's going on. Ultimately, uh, it led me to the understanding that in the benefits space for employers, for larger employers, the the broker, the insurance broker, or the insurance consultant, these are brokerage consulting firms, uh, they play a very critical role in how benefits are designed for employers uh, and the vendors that are being used, which PBM, which health plan they contract with. Uh, and really, they, they help provide guidance on their overall strategy. And one of the, one of the very interesting facts that I learned along this journey is that pharmacy, pharmacy is our world. We live it and, and eat it and drink it, breathe it every single day, every minute of every day. Uh, and to us, obviously it's, it's of critical importance. And it's not to say it's not important to employers, but it's, it is a part of a much bigger overall strategy. And so to some employers, it's just not as big of a deal as it is to others. And that's really, it's, it's been eye-opening to see where pharmacy fits in in the overall benefit strategy. So uh, it's, you know, to, re to, I guess, to get back to your question, it started with, I, I, I don't want to lose any customers to mail order or to be forced to use a specific chain. And I invested some time to become knowledgeable on employer benefits, and it landed me uh, in a an insurance benefits consulting and brokerage firm in Pittsburgh, uh, where I was, you know, offered the opportunity to become a director of pharmacy for Henderson Brothers, which is a brokerage consulting firm in Pittsburgh. Uh, and I have since learned over the past two years an, an enormous amount of things about employer benefits. And I've had a lot of success in engaging in, with employers uh, and how in determining how to incorporate a community pharmacy network, an enhanced service network into their overall benefits design. So a lot, a lot, obviously a lot of information contained within there, a lot to unpack, but uh, it, it starts with relationships and then obviously just being a good listener, asking the right questions. Uh, and getting a better understanding of what's actually going on in an, in an employer space to 
to find out how you can best position a solution. And, and frankly, that applies to any payer. If you want to sell something, you need to understand your customer. You need to understand what their challenges are, their pain points, et cetera. So I know a lot, I threw a lot at you with that answer, but that, that may be just a high level uh, answer to, to, to introduction to employer space. I think what you just outlined, Chris, was probably one of the, the biggest frustrations that community pharmacies have, which is a patient has chosen to walk into the doors of your pharmacy than to find out that they are not um, you know, able um, to get their medications filled at the pharmacy of their choice. And so the the only option that I think a lot of community pharmacies feel like is that oh, I've got to shrug my shoulders, bite my lip, and and move on to the next customer because they're not reachable, right? Um, and and that's so frustrating because that you almost feel like there is nothing you can do. But you know, you, you've just outlined, no, wait, there is something we can do about this. And what advice do you have for you know a community pharmacy that that experiences something like that? What's the first step um, to identify? the right person to contact, the, the, the right step um, to begin really having that conversation and getting to know the customer that's, that's made that decision to uh, redirect a, another a patient or, or their employees to a different pharmacy. Yeah, so it's, and it's extremely frustrating. And I, I feel the pain of any community pharmacy that's really had a, a larger portion of their their customers that maybe they're in a community where there's one big employer and, and now all of a sudden they've lost a significant uh, customer base as a result. I think that, you know, as I as I consider when employers make those decisions to narrow their network, uh, oftentimes a PBM uh, will present options. So there, there are r routine benefits meetings throughout the year. And depending on the brokerage consultant, uh, they're either they, they can be as frequent as monthly. I participate in with some of our employer clients uh, in meetings monthly where we're looking at financials. These companies, again, larger companies, they're they're really bound by budgetary uh, budgetary restrictions. They only have so many dollars that that organization can allocate to benefits. And if they're self-funded, they, they have to have a very strong cost mitigation strategy in place. And so when, when their consultant and the PBM are presenting options at their annual renewal meetings, when they're making benefits decisions, if they are making a decision to narrow their network and require their employees to go to a specific pharmacy, they're doing so probably because they're 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 trying to squeeze out as many dollars as possible. And I, I've talked to the spectrum of employers that have, some of them have no desire whatsoever to disrupt their membership. Member disruption is a, a really, it's a very sensitive subject in benefits. And so uh, for an employer to go down that road and put their members through disruption, uh, they're they're probably chasing a dollar because they're they're struggling uh, to contain their budget for pharmacy and for maybe for healthcare in total. So uh, 
having that understanding of what's motivating that, they're not being tricked into thinking that they're going to get better care from these other pharmacies, uh, from a big chain. They're really chasing a dollar to address a financial issue within their organization. But they, they are concerned with disruption. So your, your question about who is the right person to, to talk to, it's going to dip, vary by company. In some cases, in many cases, the CFO has a lot of influence over benefits because, again, we're talking about a significant, uh, it's probably their number two uh, expense in their organization behind salaries and wages in many cases. Uh, so the CFO has a lot to do with those discussions. But a, a the chief human resources officer, if the, if the company is big enough, they, they probably have a CHRO uh, or the director of benefits, total rewards. So you have to you have to do some homework on the company, and you got to see what what is their organizational structure. If you have some customers that work for that company, just ask them who who runs your benefits. Who do you go to when there's an issue? And you know, because we're so great at building relationships, we we probably can ask that person to help make an introduction. Uh, and you have to uh, you kind of you got to position the argument that, you know, there is maybe more significant disruption uh, than they anticipated in making that decision. And I, certainly it's going to be case by case scenario as to what really you say and how you position it. But uh, you have to do some homework and it's, it can be an, if you have a relationship with somebody else in the C-suite or some other leader within the organization, uh, you, you leverage that to just get a sit down and conversation with whomever is in charge of benefits, whether it's a benefits director or a CHRO. So, it, you know, unfortunately, this has already happened all around us. And, and I've seen over the years, you know, I've seen this company, you know, close to me go the way of mail order and I lost everything except, you know, that initial feel. And I've seen this company go and I've seen. So now the, the disruption would be to, to go back to the old model. How would you, you know, how would you go about approaching? I mean, it, is it, purely a cost thing that you could approach them and say, hey, I think we've got a model that can save you some additional money. And, and now you're going to have the ability to go back to, to folks using our pharmacy. I mean, how does it sound not self-serving to Moose Pharmacy when I go in the the Cheerwine Soda Corporation and, and try to get sure. them to, to switch back when they had switched mail order five years ago and I'd already lost the bulk of those folks. So I think that the conversation that I've had, the way that I've positioned it to employers and, and certainly being in the position that I am, the director of pharmacy for their broker for Henderson Brothers. And I also caveat it with saying, I, you know, I own a pharmacy here locally, just so you know, I, I have a bias. However, uh, there's more than enough evidence to show that mail-order pharmacy produces waste. Our friends over at NCPA have done a phenomenal job of compiling a 140-plus slide presentation that shows waste. So that it's, it's making sure that we articulate that we, you view the way that we view medication adherence 
it's flawed. How we how we how we view uh, the data and how we interpret the data to say your membership is doing well. well. We do that by looking at a claim and seeing if a claim was filled. Nobody's asking these people if they're taking their medications. And certainly, tell me, is anybody showing you your membership? Their their A one C is their A one C doing any better? If you look in the employer space, it's in the rule of thumb is that five percent of their population is driving 50% of their cost. And so I, I would ask them if they've seen a dramatic improvement in their drug cost. What are, what are your drug trends? And benefits, we look at your total cost and we benchmark uh, your per member per month or per contract per employee per month cost. Uh, and we, we also benchmark your trend. Your, your costs have can probably continue to increase year over year. Are you confident that your current strategy is working? Uh, so I would call out the fact that there, I can give you, I can, here are a few slides, just a few that show what happens when mail order pharmacy uh, takes the reins. And I also articulate the fact that if you have a chronic condition, is it better to be seen and engaged more often or less often. Uh, you know, if you've ever experienced mail order, I mean, I tell them, I say, I'm sure you or somebody in your family, somebody you know, you could go to their medicine cabinet and open up the medicine cabinet and find bottles of medication that just aren't being used. So you have to balance this. I, I don't advocate to take away mail order. I advocate for patient choice. And I say, for those that want to use mail order, let them use mail order. But those that really need the engagement, you're doing them a disservice by not allowing them the opportunity to touch their pharmacist every month. Uh, and in fact, you should really be incentivizing that. So I've, I've got a handful of employers that have heard that message that have said that actually makes a lot of sense. They, they've compared it to their personal experience with a concierge physician. And they're beginning to, they, we've, mail order has had an opportunity to prove its value over the last several years as we've seen this, this shift to mail order over the past decade plus, and they don't really have much to show for it. So I think those are a few places to start, uh, but you, you got to make sure that you really understand what's going on within the organization uh, because you don't want to. You don't want to throw the wrong point out onto the table. So it's very important to begin asking questions and getting an understanding. But you do have a, a handful of arguments that can be made to help them see. It's really using motivational interviewing with the employer to help right. them look at their data and see that. Yeah, I, I like what you said about telling the employer that they're doing a disservice to their employees by by doing that. And I, and I, you know, we've done for, gosh, how long now, Ashley, have we, have we worked with that employer group and, and with their most complex employees and, and the employer actually incentivizes the employees to, to come to a session with us. And like you say, it's that 5% that's really driving their costs. They get incentivized to, to have a, a, a coaching session or have ongoing coaching sessions with us, and, and they're seeing they're seeing a payoff um, and a return on investment by doing that. So, 
it's still it, it's to have that meeting and to sit down and, and really begin to outline the opportunities that that's a really big opportunity, at least even to start the conversation. I, I don't know that our expectation should be that you walk out of the meeting automatically with a, a home run, but it takes time sure. to, to nurture and develop that relationship. And what, you know, I, I'm curious, Chris, in your experience, what role has having and being a part of a network, um, how has that sweetened the pot in some ways so that, you know, you're not just no Chris from Asti's Pharmacy, you're representing that pharmacy plus many more who have a, have a similar and dedicated mission around your community. It's, it's absolutely critical. It's 100% the only way to, to really convince an employer that there's another strategy that they should be considering. CPESN, without a doubt, is a critical piece. And for those employers or for those pharmacies that are, you know, they have one big employer in their backyard, don't be afraid to, to use CPESN as the, as, as the option or the solution for them. You're going to get the lion's share if you're geographically located there. But one of the other big concerns that employers have is, is, is geo access, essentially. So the larger the employer, the more likely they are to have people in multiple, spa- in multiple places. Uh, they, they are likely in multiple states. And in some cases, they're national, they're national employers. And so they have you know, 30 or 40 states where employees are located. So for you to be able to introduce a solution that addresses a national presence, that, it, that can address all of their employees, it's going to be very critical because they don't, at least in my experience, they're not super, you know, they're not super interested in having fragmented benefits. They don't want this group to have this and that group to have access to that. They, they really want it to be consistent uh, and they want it to be measurable across their entire employee base. So it's 100% pivotal to offer them a solution that is, you know, one network, high performance, consistent, et cetera. And to your, to your comment about the cycle, the, the selling cycle with employers is, it is long. Uh, it, it really, when you think about benefit, they think about benefits on an annual renewal cycle. And in some cases it goes beyond one year. So you can't really expect to walk in at any moment and be able to make a sale and then win that sale and then begin like begin the contracting process. Uh, right now is a pivotal time because many employers, I would say most employers are on a January 1 uh, benefits renewal cycle. So right now I'm meeting with clients and we're discussing new vendors. We're looking at new PBM options and we want to get all of these decisions made you know, by the middle of August, at the end of August at the latest, so that they can prepare for open enrollment and they can have all of their documents in line. Are they going to change their copay incentive structure? All of the decisions that need to go into their benefits, they're, they're being made for many companies around this time. There are a number of companies, obviously, that are maybe on a July 1 or an off any other month of the year benefit cycle. Uh, so keep that in mind. Where are you in your benefits here? 
uh, and the timing of your meetings are going to be important. They may be less interested to have a discussion with you in November, December, because their decisions have already been made and they're trying to cope with maybe bringing on a new vendor. They're, they're too distracted in the benefits department. So recognize that it's a long cycle and that there are distinct moments throughout the course of their benefits year that they're going to be more interested in discussing new strategic initiatives uh, before they can make a change in their benefit program. Did I lose you guys? Sorry, I was talking to the mute. Um, we, we had a, we had an employer group uh, set up. We went to them. We made kind of our pitch. They loved it. Um, we got all of their claims data. We, we ran it. We showed them solid savings on it. Went back. They loved it. And then all of a sudden, their their benefits um, consultant came in and and, and squashed it. Um, so how do we how do we tie into the broker world, the benefits consultant world, so that they're not they're not fighting against us coming in or fighting against us, but yeah. they're actually working on on our team and we're working together to, to offer a product that that does include us. Yeah, it's a it's absolutely that's the million dollar question. That's the million dollar realization because. Uh, the brokers, I've said this, you know, I've given this joke before, uh, where if from the big, my big fat Greek wedding, the, you know, the mother explains that your father may be the head of the house, but I'm the neck and I turn the head whatever direction I want it to be looking at. And that's essentially the, the broker consultant role. The employer's the head, but the broker and broker slash consultant is the neck. And what was has been disturbing to learn over the years has been that the benefits consultants and brokers are they're really in many cases a part of the problem uh, of where where pharmacy is today in the commercial space because they have uh, a financial interest in who is doing what in the pharmacy space for their clients. So, uh, in most instances, brokers disclose their commissions. And in the pharmacy space, commissions from PBMs are not disclosed. So there is a financial interest in the PBM and the strategy uh, where the brokers are, are advising in a way where they're not super interested in disrupting the existing arrangement, uh, especially if you're looking to change PBMs or change the, the structure. If you're coming in to offer a service, they may or may not, uh, that may or may not be an issue for them. Keep in mind that wellness vendors and other solutions that are looking to do disease management, again, brokers will get commission on that. It depends on the broker's relationship with the client that could influence the their bias. So Henderson Brothers, for example, <clears throat> Our our preferred method to work with our clients, and this is often with all of our larger self self insured clients, we don't we don't make commissions on the things that we bring to them. Henderson Brothers gets a fee from the client, 
again, it's it's a more transparent and and vendor agnostic approach. We don't care who you work with. We're going to work with the best solution, and you're just going to pay us a consulting fee. So when you're looking at an employer opportunity, it's very important for you to know who the broker is. Who is your broker slash consultant? I say consultant because, again, insurance brokers are typically you see that in a smaller in a smaller space, uh, the brokerage of, of insurance benefits, uh, whereas as you're getting larger, you're really acting as a consultant and an advisor. So those firms are going to vary and their, their, their philosophies are going to vary. And as a company gets bigger, the more likely they are to be with a bigger brokerage consulting firm. And so there are some national players out there like Aon, like Gallagher, like Willis Towers Watson. Uh, and there's been some consolidation in that space. And these are very large global consulting firms that all have, excuse me, they all happen to have uh, very strong programs and coalitions with the large PBMs. Uh, and they, it's not surprising that if you have an Aon, if you see a, one of Aon's clients, you're likely to, to, to look at their benefits and see that they're in one of Aon's pharmacy benefits coalitions that don't tend to offer a lot of flexibility. And so to your point about what do you do, it, you have to, number one, know who the consultant is. If it's a local consulting firm, if the consulting firm is in your community, your neighborhood or your state or your city, uh, that's a good indication that maybe there's an opportunity to go and have a conversation with them. Okay. It's like, you can go and talk to one employer, but like with Henderson brothers, I failed when I talked to, to multiple employers before I went to find Henderson brothers, because I, I had the same issue happen to me, Joe. And so I learned that it's the consultant that's the key. So I started calling on consultants and it was ultimately Henderson Brothers that said, we actually like what you have to say. Do you want to work for us essentially? So learn who the consultant is and then begin to build a relationship there. And maybe you even ask your customers. You may have customers that work for these firms that can open up the door to have a more broader conversation around the state of affairs in pharmacy. and to discuss with them how a, an enhanced pharmacy network could benefit their clients. Uh, and in some cases you need to ensure that they, you know, they, they may, again, I don't like this arrangement, but you just need to talk about, you know, if you're, if you're currently benefiting, if you currently are making commissions on the, your existing pharmacy strategies, we don't want to disrupt that. We want to look to see how we can complement what you're offering to your clients and strengthen, uh, you know, strengthen your value, increase your value to your clients. So that's a that's another great question. Another, you know, very we could talk for hours just on the brokerage community, but uh, it's an absolute critical part about having success with employers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wish we had hours to get into that because I, I think we need to to learn more about that as as the community pharmacy family. Um, we need to understand that space better and learn more of that. So maybe maybe we can have you back, Chris, and and we can dive into that a, a little more and just 
let us learn how to protect our own neighborhoods um, from this, the patient migrating away from us uh, without choice on it. That would that would be a great topic to, to continue to, to carry on. Uh, this sure. has been a, a, a great conversation today. And again, I wish we I wish we did have hours to go on, but but we're out of time. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your time today. And uh, uh, I would love to continue this, continue this in the future. Appreciate it today, everybody. All, all of those are, who, who are listening on and uh, we will we'll talk to you next week. Thanks again. Thanks again. Thanks, Chris. Thank you all. Thank you. Take care, guys. The CPESN podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Production assistance is given by Mike Denninger and Suzanne Feeney. For more information, visit us online at cpesn.com and tptransformations.com.